Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. We are coming to you from the road, so if the sound quality is not quite studio level, you know why. The season is here. The season is here. Praise the Lord. The season is here, folks. We had our week zero soft launch, and now we have a full slate of week one games to dive into starting on Thursday and running through Labor Day weekend. Folks, it's going to be great. And to kick off the season, we welcome back recurring guest Paul Meyerberg from USA Today, my good friend. Paul and I will spend a couple of minutes talking about Nebraska's latest meltdown and Jim Harbaugh's unique approach to settling Michigan's quarterback competition. Then we'll preview week one, dive deep into week one. We'll both pick our five most intriguing games of the weekend. We have both deep cuts and the big ranked matchups covered. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find the show at appodcast.com, where you can also find my colleague Rob Motti's excellent NFL podcast. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, good review, good rating, please. It helps us find more college football fans and helps more fo- college football fans find us. If you want to email the show, aptop25mailbag at gmail.com, aptop25mailbag, digits25 at gmail.com, and away we go. Joining me this week to usher in a new college football season, my friend, recurring guest, Paul Meyerberg from USA Today. Happy football season, Paul. We have finally made it. Let me ask you something, Ralph. Mm-hmm. Has this been a quicker off season for you than usual. If you think back to these last eight and a half months, seven and a half months, has it felt quick? I, maybe a little. No, no, I will say no. And here's the only reason why I will say no, because the last two off seasons were non-existent. Mm-hmm. So in comparison to 2021, which had a lot of NIL, NCAA, and that stuff. I mean, you know, there was obviously, you know, more conference realignment reared its ugly head. But this was a little bit more, felt a little bit more of a normal offseason. And then, of course, you go back to 2020 with COVID. So I'm going to say only because the last two offseasons almost didn't exist, I am going to say that this offseason did not feel like it was that quick. But it could, maybe it did for you. It did. It felt very fast. Mm-hmm. It felt very fast. And it's weird. It's, it, I'm making it sound like a complaint. I'm only complaining because, like, for you and for me, like, boo-hoo, football season started. Our life, <laughs> right. our life is over, you know, <laughs> until January. Like, next time, it's like uh, Punxsutawney Phil. Next time I come outside, it's going to be crappy weather and miserable outside. So that's, like, the one drawback of it being a quick summer. But look, like, college football is um, – is obviously on our brains 365. So for me to say like, oh, I, I don't feel like I made the most of my July seems disingenuous, but it did surprise me that I was like, wow, we're playing on Saturday. And that was like last Thursday. I was like, holy cow, Nebraska's going to lose in two days. I cannot <laughs> believe that this is happening already. Uh, we, we will get to that in a second, but I, I will admit that too. And again, nobody's going to shed tears because we have great jobs. And 
as the season goes along, there'll be moments when I am euphoric about my job and there'll be moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Um, but but even, I, I think I mentioned this, this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, like, again, it was about 10 days until week zero. And I found myself thinking, like getting a little of those Sunday scaries, like, oh, like, there it is. It's it's almost over here. Like I'm like it's it's time to rock and roll. And right, I mean, as much as we anticipate the season and we like the season and the season's the best part of our job, there was that feeling of like, ooh, it's back to work time. <laughs> like, yes. it, oh, it's back to sixteen hour Saturdays every Saturday. So Absolutely. again, nobody should feel sorry for us. But th- there does there is a little bit of an element of oh, I got to get back to start working really hard again. <laughs> you know? Yes, absolutely. So before we move on to preview the opening weekend of the week one, the proper opening, I don't know what there is left to be said about Nebraska. I feel like we, you know, especially you and I, I think, you know, we're close to the same age. I'm a little older than you, but we both sort of understand what Nebraska was. So part of Nebraska not being good, I think we both take it. I don't know. Pers- I don't know. If personally, is the right word, but we both feel it in a way that's like, oh, that's not right. That's not the way things are supposed to be. We've talked it to death. I, I-, I don't know if again. I just don't know if I have anything more to say other than, ugh, and I, like it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like there is a return from here. Like I mean, we could talk ourselves into it's only one game and maybe Northwestern's pretty good and Nebraska could roll out and win eight games. But like, I, I don't know, like it, it just felt that felt finite to me. Yeah. It, it felt very, very heavy, like a lot of consequence. Um, yeah. For people like you and I and in our age group, just watching and seeing Nebraska suck is like when you go through Amazon Prime and you're like, oh, there's a Bruce Willis movie. And you're like, Bruce Willis is in this. And you're like, well, okay, well, it's from 2017. So it's <laughs> not like, it's not Die Hard. Um, it, but it still confuses your brain because your brain still equates Bruce Willis as building a movie star. Nebraska is no longer a movie star. Nebraska is the Bruce Willis, Nicolas Cage direct-a-video movie from 2019 where he plays like himself for three minutes. That's what Nebraska football is nowadays, and, and I, I think it pays not to sweat it too much. Um, Minnesota used to win a lot of national championships. They no longer do. So uh, this happens. It's happening to Nebraska. It's going to continue happening. But, uh, yeah, I, we don't need to go into too much, but I'm totally with you. This one felt very, very heavy in terms of what it implies for, for Frost and for the future of the program. Yeah, you just can't having I mean, you know, to use Frost's own words, right? The same movie and to you know play off your your analogy, the same movie over and over again and expect different results. Like, oh, like all of a sudden now after four years and one game of consistent disappointment, now they'll snap out of it. This will be the one where they finally go, Oh, wait a second, we have to stop doing these ridiculous things and losing these games this way. And now, you know, fortune will turn and luck will change and regression will happen and everything will flip and Nebraska will go on. It's just it's just hard to like like I, I guess that's possible, but it's hard to see it. I, I want to again. I got nothing more to say, but I felt like we needed to talk about Nebraska. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on uh, Michigan's uh, biblical quarterback competition, 
with uh, with Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy. Like, I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of with Harbard going about this. Like, you start the first game, you start the, the second game, uh, and then of course today he compared himself to Solomon or compared the the idea to you know splitting the baby. I'm not exactly sure where that was going, but. You know, every, anything at Michigan is super important, so why not have it be big, biblical, right? In Michigan, if anything goes on in Michigan, it's it's very important to people at Michigan. Right. Um, this is a better plan than, like, the alternating series plan. Mm-hmm. For the life of me, when a coach says that they're going to alternate series, just just go. Just go. Pack your bags. <laughs> go away. Like, don't, don't do that to me. Don't do that to anyone else. And, and not to mention – I'm not saying that like Michigan's gonna win a national championship with you at quarterback, Ralph, but Michigan's beating Colorado State and UConn with you at quarterback. I mm. truly and firmly believe that. So no, I, it's think, a nice I think plan. Hawaii's in there. I think it's I think it's, oh, I'm I think sorry. it's Colorado I'm State, sorry. Hawaii, and then UConn. So they okay. need to get this sorted out for UConn. They right. have to have this figured out before they go play before they play yeah. UConn. Ball. You gotta get that out before you face a Jim Moore coach team, because gosh. <laughs> um so I, I don't hate it at all. I don't have a problem with it at all. I mean, it's like very vintage Harbaugh, right? Like, what is the thing that no one else would do and no one else would talk about? And if they ever did it, they would just keep it to themselves and not like publicly say it or then quote the Bible and say that he's Solomon. Just Jim Harbaugh would do that. So it's a very Harbaugh, Harbaugh moment. But I'm cool with it, Ralph. I, I really don't have a problem with it. Just like I said, because of the schedule, give it a shot. I'm roll the dice. I mean, you're basically just tabling a difficult decision for two weeks, but at least in two weeks, maybe that decision not just becomes easier because you have, have some results, but maybe it just becomes a little bit easier to sell. There's a little bit pressure, a little bit less pressure on you. Uh, it's less of a, of the story of the day. So I totally get it. Hope it works out for them because I think both of those guys can win a lot of games for them. We know McNamara can. So I hope it works out for Michigan. Hopes it works out for those two guys who who will get an equal shot at winning this job. I I think, it, and to crawl into the mind of Harbaugh is a fool's errand, right? To think that I can figure out what he's planning or what he's thinking and where he's going with this is probably silly. But I suspect this sets up as an easier way to make McCarthy the starter. Like I, I just feel like there is a it, it, I. I he probably sees the two players in practice, thinks that kid led me to the playoff last year, has been a solid soldier and a really good player, but the better player is the other player. How do I do this? How do I transition to the better player? And to me, I feel like doing this and having McCarthy start the second game maybe possibly creates an easier path to making the switch away from the guy who led you to the playoff last year. I, you know, may, again, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think um, that's my guess here. That's my guess that ultimately, you know, listen, I, nobody's got a lot of inside information on, on Michigan. It's a bit of a fortress, but there, it, you know, if you talk to a few people, you know, I sort of gotten the impression that like McCarthy was doing very well and that people thought that like eventually he would take the job um, because he is a, more, a higher ceiling player. So I don't know that my, that my guess would be McCarthy uh, w- was going to get this job and Harbaugh was trying to figure out a way to make that happen without alienating your the the upperclassmen on the team who loved the guy who took you to the playoff last year. 
Yeah, that's a really, I mean, I think that's pretty astute. For me, Ralph, if I ever have to guess what Harbaugh is thinking, uh, it's either milk or Jesus. Like those are the two <laughs> things that he's thinking about pretty constantly. Um, but I, that makes complete and total sense to me. I think Harbaugh, uh, as much, if not more so um, uh, than any coach in the country, by virtue of his experience, I mean, and specifically his experience at Michigan and in, in the NFL, understands the the depth of this decision, like you mentioned, it's not just a decision on Madden 19 when you're like, uh, I'm playing the young kid because he's got a higher potential and I'm just going to roll with it. There's a lot of, there's a nuance to it. And I, and I think it would be difficult. Yeah. I think it would be difficult to make the decision today um, that McCarthy is your starter and he's your starter until he gets injured or until it gets really bad. And then Cade's ready to go. I, I think that's a tough choice. So um I don't want to. I don't think we're coming off as jaded or cynical here. It's not like he's protecting himself. He's got the goodwill to make any decision he wants. But I do think it makes it easier for him and maybe easier for the team as well. McCarthy goes out week two, and his lights out. Um, maybe you come back that week and say, "Hey, he's the hot hand. Let's go with it and see where it plays." And your team buys into that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I put a lot of stock into what you said. I think at the very least that makes up a good chunk of, of Harbaugh's thinking at this point. Maybe, yeah, and and we'll see. Uh, I, you know, the the quarterback situations are coming together all over the country now. Some, you know, there's still some some, you know, we're going to play close to the vest going on out there. LSU, it uh, it sounds like Brian Kelly might not reveal his choice until game day against Florida State on Sunday night. Um, TJ Finley is uh, is uh, going to be Auburn's starting quarterback. Uh, King uh, Haynes King is going to be the Texas A&M starting quarterback, which, I, which is kind of interesting because he started out as last year's starting quarterback, got hurt early. Maybe an interesting kid to see how that blossoms there. I always find it interesting to see how the things are playing out in front of the five stars. Uh, I think James, the five, the younger five stars like Connor uh, Wegman or is it Wegman or Wegman? Uh, I've been going Wegman, but that's because we don't ever hear these kids' names until they get on ESPN. You yes, know what I mean? exactly. So I told them it was Wegman, even though there's an I in there. And so I'm just fascinated to see how maybe that plays out. Again, you got a five star who's clearly the future of the program. Uh, the, the one that, that drew some attention was uh, James Franklin today saying that uh, Drew Aller is without question the number two, and he's the five star freshman playing behind Sean Clifford. And I think that them anointing him num- the clear number two and sort of hinting that, you know, maybe we could try to work him in is interesting only because, you know, Clifford is a good player. He's been, been there forever. I think you kind of know what you're going to get with Sean Clifford. And if there's a higher ceiling guy behind him, maybe maybe there is some interesting dynamic with that during the season where maybe Aller is at least showing himself to be is good good enough to be the backup which i think opens the door to if if Clifford struggles maybe we could see Aller at some point this year yeah and that's a good one i, I think Clifford as an established 6th year senior yeah i yeah, believe yeah, yeah um uh you know when you when you you look back at 2021 for Penn state and you look at how a year can derail um, pretty quickly. It was a 20, no, I'm sorry. 2021, one of those years where they had to have a QB come in and they kind of derailed there for, for a week or two. I'm like, well, oh. well no, it was last year. Yes. Last they, year, uh, they were leading Iowa, but mm-hmm. I know the years, the last couple of years totally blur together. Yes. They're leading Iowa at halftime and, and what seemed like a huge game and it's a top five matchup and Clifford gets hurt. 
and that game goes away and then they can't score it, you know, in 15 overtimes against, against Illinois uh, because Clifford was not quite healthy. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it, the, the season completely went off the rails. You know, again, you want to, you, you know, I, I understand Clifford might have his limitations, but the but the fact of the matter is he, they, they were pretty good last year when he was healthy and they were not good at all after he got hurt. Yeah, so if that moment arises again this season and, you know, Michigan on the 15th or Ohio State late October, I would imagine that Penn State probably feels a little bit better about their number two. And that's a good thing. I mean, we've seen um, college teams do a better job than ever at keeping QBs healthy by and large. Quarterback play, I mean, on every level, they with with built-in protections to the game, you're, not, you're seeing fewer injuries to the quarterback position overall. But one little series, one little game that can, that can have an adverse – profoundly adverse effect on your ability to get to a new year's six. So I'm not okay. saying Clifford has a short leash. I just think that they've got a better situation on their depth chart than they did this point a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Very much. Cause you're right. As you said, like, I mean, last year they were so hamstrung by having it's and it's hard to have quarterback depth. Your quarterback depth often is your, your quarterback of the future, who, you know, maybe is just, you know, preparing to bust out the next year. It's just very hard to have an established backup uh, because that those guys end up in the portal. All right. So the way we do things around here, started doing it last year, is we preview the week of games um, by asking the guest, and I'll put a list together too, um, five most intriguing games of the weekend. That's not necessarily best games. That's games that you are simply most interested in watching maybe because they're just quirky matchups or maybe because you're particularly interested in what these teams are all about. It's sort of a prove it game. So you have your list of five. I have my list of five. We tried to, I try to make them somewhat different though. There's at least some agreement here Uh, and we'll just bounce back and forth and we'll preview the weekend's games and we'll get about 10 games in. Or, you know, maybe a couple less than that, because, again, I think we have some some repeats here. And since you are the guest, we will go five to one and we will start out with number five most intriguing game this week. Paul Meyerberg. Oh, I got to be honest. I didn't rank them. I knew there was something that I missed. But you can. But you can can. rank them. I'm I'm doing it as we speak. I'm doing it right now. I mean, how tough is it? How tough is that to rank them? Yeah. Just killing time right at this moment. And I'm done. Okay, yeah. number five. Bro. <laughs> right. How ready? difficult was it going to be to rank them? Come on. Very easy. Okay, number five, Boise State at Oregon State. Uh, yeah. In, uh, intriguing to me briefly on, on both fronts. Boise State went seven and five last year under Andy Avalos. I am an Andy Avalos person. I remember meeting him when he was a, a younger coordinator and being very impressed with his command, so on and so forth. Thought he would always get this job. I think they're a better team than they were last year. I think they were a better team last year than their record. This is a really good opportunity for them. Oregon State, uh, we all know the Pac-12 is is like an absolute disgrace. They're not going to win the conference. But I do think that based on their trajectory under Jonathan Smith, I think they can talk about winning maybe eight games in a lopsided, topsy-turvy league. Uh, to do that requires they go 3-0 and in non-conference. So it's an intriguing and an interesting game for both these dudes. Yeah, I'm interested to see where Boise State is as far as you're right. I mean, like, you know, seven and five for Boise State, that's a that's a catastrophe, right? And, and something that we don't see happen very often. So I'm interested to see if they can bounce back, especially. Uh so the Boise State side of that intrigues me. So uh 
again, to balance this out, mine are going to steer a little closer to the bigger games. And I think Paul's going to do a, a, a few more deep cuts, but that's, that's, that's also part of, uh, part of just making a little more uh, uh, diversity in the list and, and giving a few more opportunities to talk about some bunch of games. So number five on my list is, is the quote unquote biggest game of the weekend. And it's Notre Dame at Ohio state. And the reason why it, it, it is only five on my list and barely made the list is it is without question an interesting game. Like if you have Ohio State on one side of the field and 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 Notre Dame on the other on a Saturday night, that's fun, right? That should be at least somewhat fun and interesting. The rankings say it's a top five matchup. I, I got to admit, I'm not sure Notre Dame is going to play this game particularly close. I, I just think that Ohio State is 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 a, is a really potent on offense. It's going to be tough for Notre Dame to keep up, especially with a brand new quarterback. You know, I, I just don't, I don't think anybody's holding down Ohio State. I think you're going to have to beat Ohio State by, by scoring a bunch of points or pounding them for 300 yards on the ground like Michigan did last year. I don't think Notre Dame's really got the, 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 the personnel to do that. Nonetheless, it's Ohio State Notre Dame, so of course it's at least number five. Yeah, at the very least, my favorite moment today, Ralph, was from um, newcomer Marcus Freeman when told that Ohio State was favored by seventeen and a half points. He said something like, "Well, we're going to talk about that later today as a team." Um, unless Marcus Freeman is can is actually going to speak like magic, like cast some sort of spell of invincibility with his team, there's no reason to talk about it. Um, th- like, <laughs> don't bring it up. There's a reason that Iowa State's favored by 17 and a half points. Like, I don't know. I don't, I just don't understand. I understand it's his first game, but why would you think that talking to your team is going to make that difference? Um, they're still going to go in by 17 and a half points. Um, so I-, I am in South Bend. Um, currently got here early enough today to see to in person uh, view Marcus Freeman's first uh, game week news conference. Uh, not that big of a deal, but nonetheless, his first game week news. My big takeaway from it, from being here in person, is that man even more handsome in person. <laughs> he is super handsome. And we he, can just he, say between the two he of is, us. He's he, a handsome dude. He's he super, super handsome. handsome. He was dressed nicely. He had like a nicely like uh, 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 a nicely tailored shirt uh, on. He just you know his clothes look great. His hair looked great. He was just he is fabulously handsome and even more so in person. So that was my main takeaway from Marcus Freeman's uh, news conference. The number four most intriguing game of the weekend, uh, according to Paul Meyerberg, is. Uh, Penn State at Purdue. You might have mm. heard it said several times by James Franklin. I believe this was the 77,000th <laughs> time that he's mentioned this. Penn State tends to play a Big Ten game on the road to start, to start the, the season. Yeah, this is it's seven years in a row. This, this is seven <laughs> years in a row. It is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a, a bit. It's a bit. It's a commitment yeah. to the bit by the Big Ten. Yeah, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but I do kind of feel for him. Um, like with Boise, Oregon State, there is a Purdue angle here. I think there are some people in some circles. I think Purdue can win the West. Technically, they're accurate. I think this is all about Penn State because we have officially kind of forgotten that they've gone 11 and 11 and anointed them a top 15 team. I'm all for it. They're my top 17 or whatever, but I want to see them prove it. And if Purdue is an eight win team, that's great, but Penn State should still win this by 10 or 14. So that's very, very interesting to me to see what the Nittany Lions are about. Yeah, uh, two young uh, tailbacks who are supposed to um, uh, improve the running game there, two freshman tailbacks. So, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I just think that it becomes an interesting season if 
Penn State muddles along again after you just gave ten, James Franklin a ten-year contract, right? If they don't bounce back to something substantive, nine and three or better, uh, I think Penn State fans are going to start wondering what did we just do here. Um, number four for me is number twenty-three Cincinnati at number nineteen Arkansas. Um, hey man, like what Cincinnati got for us this year? Um, I'm actually a little skeptical on both of these teams and not that I think either of them will be bad, but I could see a situation where both of them are unranked at the end of the year. First of all, Arkansas, the SEC West is just a bear. Somebody in that division is going to be disappointed or disappointing. So it, you know, Arkansas could very easily be the one that pulls the short straw this year. And for Cincinnati, I mean, they had eight guys drafted. I understand Fickle's doing a great job, and I think they're probably going to be pretty good again this year. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, just like to see what Cincinnati can do for an encore, and if they can play tough at an SEC West school with the amount of turnover that they've had, yeah, uh, um, that's uh, that'll be a good test for them. Yeah, and this will bleed into my, my number three game for sure because it's, it's Cincinnati-related, but I think one thing we know about Cincinnati is that, that they'll be up to the physical challenge of this game. That's true. Um, I think the way they practice, the way they prepare, the way they develop, I think they'll be up for that. But like you said, like this is not just, Hey, our, our left guard got taken in the sixth round and our punter went in the seventh. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're talking major, major star power from last year's team. So it's very, it's just so unlikely that they do it again, not just playoff again. I mean, just repeat atop the group five. It seems a little bit unlikely to me at this point, but uh, Hey, uh, whatever they do on Saturday, safe to say that the Saturday, you know, five Saturdays from there, eight Saturdays from there, they're going to be substantially better team as they get experienced. But that's okay. a tough test for them to get started. So we're segueing into your number three then, which is? Houston at UTSA. Mm. Um, yeah, tricky one for both. Let me know how you yeah. feel about Houston. But I think for me on paper, just reviewing all these group of five teams, they are the safest bet um, to win this American. And then if you win the American, obviously you're the favorite to, to be in the New Year Six. I also think based off their first two weeks, because they missed Cincy, they missed UCF in the regular season, if they're 2-0 and after Utsa and Texas Tech, you begin to think about, can they do what Cincinnati did? Because mm-hmm. it is a possibility. Because these are, to me, on paper, their two toughest games of the year, or among their two toughest games of the year. Yeah, you start getting... You you move into the conversation, right? It starts to be something you have to talk about because, in in part, because of what Cincinnati did last year. Cincinnati now opened the door to this conversation. UTSA and Texas Tech, neither of those are Notre Dame, right? So it doesn't give you that opportunity to say, here's our trump card. We beat the fifth best team in the country on the road. But they both could be good enough to give you legitimacy as far as wins out of conference and at the end of the road, you could be looking at a very good Cincinnati team to beat in the AAC championship. Or you could be – I think actually UCF might be pretty good again this year too. I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, I think I picked Houston and UCF to play in the uh, AAC championship game. Uh, again, I, you're right. They don't have the entryway that Cincinnati had last year. But I think if nothing else, just as you said, they start 2-0 – we are going to have to talk about them. They're, they're going to force their way into what to do about Houston, especially if the rest of the country goes a little nuts like it did last year, which was part of the reason how the door opened up for Cincinnati. 
Yeah, I'll just quickly because maybe our your listeners don't wouldn't have this offhand. Kansas, Rice, Tulane, Memphis, Navy, South Florida, SMU, Temple, East Carolina, Tulsa. That's mm. what Houston has after after the Roadrunners and Texas Tech. So it's almost like it's downhill from there. They'll lose a game. That's how the world works. But I think this is a 10-win team uh, pretty safely to me, a 10-win team, as long as they get off to a 1-1 and or 2-0 start. Yeah. And UTSA is coming off of, you know, an amazing sort of, you know, breakout season under Jeff Trailer there uh, with a quarterback back. And so there's there's they'll, they'll meet some resistance. Houston will meet resistance with the Roadrunners. My number three is, I believe, well, no, I was going to say I believe it's the same as your number three, but uh yeah actually yes it is it might well it might be the same as your number two i I excuse you i'll I'll say that might be the same as your number two my number three is florida state lsu Mm -hmm. that's Uh, my number one actually oh okay i'm with you yeah 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 you know what then i'm gonna put that one aside for a second okay and we'll go to your number two number two army at coastal carolina um it's just two styles that you love i mean Army style you love because nostalgia is a powerful drug and, and coastal you love because it's amazing. It's just a fun physical offense to watch. And clearly with Grayson McCall back on the center, they're going to just be just explosive and dynamic. So I'd love to see this be like a 44-41 game. And I think it could get to that point. It, it probably won't, but um, two well, teams Army, that... Army will probably slow it down enough right, so that right. you might not get that high. And, and they're both some – like it, it's option – against sort of mashup option, right? It's, it's it, you know, uh, Jamie Chadwell is, you know, see, if I was hipper, I would be able to, like, take some some artist who's who's really famous for mashup songs, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I like my, my musical taste and that Pearl Jam. So, right. like, so like, <laughs> I'm going to have to call my 16-year-old daughter for this. But, yeah, it, it's like the option against, like, TikTok, TikTok option, right? It's Yeah, totally. So it's it's like we're so it's, old. A, it's a really we're so old. We're so bad. Like I was thinking, like man, could I even like contribute anything to this for right now with this matchup? Um, <laughs> I think uh, they're two just super fun teams. You know what I mean? And these are two teams that America really loves to watch. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to see the matchup. You know, it's not it's not of national importance. Though I do think the winner you can make a case for for week two top twenty five. It's just a fun matchup. So uh, if they were. If there was a power five team involved, maybe I'd, I'd bump up to number one. But this is this is going to be fun. I'm excited for this. My number two is Utah at Florida, and I just think this is listen. This is a you know it's it's a game not just for Utah uh, and how seriously do we take them. Um, you know, Florida is rebuilding. Florida is in year one of a new coach. There, there's a very good possibility here that Utah, a fully formed Utah team, experienced, knows exactly what their identity is, well coached, goes into Florida and really roughs up the Gators. Like, I think that's a, I think that's a real possibility here. So why is it important? Because if it doesn't happen, it, it throws Utah and the Pac-12 into a tizzy. I, and I think that's I think that's the, the intriguing thing here is that I, you have Florida always has talent. They have a very interesting quarterback in Anthony Richardson, who I think that there is this like there's this whiff of wow, this could be a really special player, um, and maybe he's the type of player that turns a first year coach into a genius. Um, 
not that Billy Napier is, a, is not a good coach, but I'm just saying like he's the type of like talent that if it all comes together, you look at it and go, wow, like Florida won 10 games their first year under Billy Napier. So the impact that this not only could have on Utah season, but on the Pac-12 season makes it really interesting to me. Yeah, and it's like you said, it's 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 a better matchup, I think, than the you know AP coaches poll suggests, or even maybe what the spread says. The spread says Utah by three, so maybe it's like Utah favored by a touchdown without home field. I think it's going to be a good matchup. I think Florida does have the athletes and the speed to put some stress and strain on Utah, but um, you kind of touched on it on your as you're introducing the game. I think it's equally likely, if not more so, that like a veteran, cohesive coherent Utah team aware of what they can and can't do just kind of sits down on Florida's chest and kind of suffocates them for four quarters. I'm not saying they're going to win 40 to 10, but just kind of puts their full weight on them and pulls away in the fourth quarter and wins 31, 17, 31, 21. And if they do that, even if Florida goes seven and five, it's a feather in your cap game for Utah. It's, you know, it's a game you talk about or that people talk about in on a Tuesday night in November when they're doing the, the, the playoff top 25, because it's a meaningful true road win against the SEC. And I think that carries a lot of weight, even if Florida's a 500 or slightly better team. Yeah, I agree. I, I completely agree. I mean, listen, you just, you just don't see this type of intersectional matchup anymore either. So that like, if, if nothing else, it's fun to see different helmets clash. So before you do number one, because we both agree on like the importance of this game, I'll just, my number one is Georgia and Oregon. And it's a lot of the same themes that Utah, Florida has, except obviously Georgia's unbelievably good and the defending national <laughs> champion, but, but, and I don't, I don't think Oregon has to win the game to sort of salvage reputation for the S for the PAC 12 or to go on and have a very good season. I think there's potential there for Oregon to have a very good season in the PAC 12 and contend for a PAC 12 title. I do wonder a, just how ferocious Georgia will be after losing half an NFL team to the, I have an NFL defense over the off season. Uh, and I kind of just wonder if, if Oregon can hang here. And again, it's just sort of that idea of like, they don't have to win, but if Oregon stays within a, a you know, 10, 14 here, is that enough to sort of validate the PAC 12 later on? In other words, if Oregon is good and Utah is good and USC is good and we can sort of go back and say, listen, Oregon went all the way across the country. They hung around with the national champions. Like, maybe we can let a Pac-12 team play in this playoff. So I, I think there's some interest on that end of things. And just sort of seeing what Georgia does for an encore. Again, I'm not really anticipating an upset here. Though I would say I don't think anybody expected Oregon to beat Ohio State last year when they opened up the season in Columbus and they did. So I, weird things happen is Oregon's pretty talented and weird things happen. And Dan Lanning obviously knows Georgia pretty well. Yeah. Uh, if I'm Oregon and you're telling me right now that I can, that you'll give me a 10 point loss. I'm not even getting on the flight. Give me, give me, <laughs> give me, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I'm losing 31, 21 in Atlanta. Like, give me, what, give what, me, what, give me what if right I give now. you 31 17? How about 31 17? But they don't get it to they don't get 31 until the fourth quarter. Midway through the fourth quarter, they they drop the 31, they get they get to 31 17. And then they Absolutely. just, you know, okay. Absolutely would take it. My my concern for this game from Oregon's perspective is just how violent can this game get? Yeah. Like how bad, like how much can Georgia bury us? 
mm-hmm. and not just bury us on the scoreboard, but just like run circles around us, make us look slow, like push us around up front, destroy our quarterback. Um, that's my concern for Oregon. I'm all on board with Georgia. I understand that like a lot of people I'm putting them number three, but we're not dummies. Like even with all the losses they've had, this could be a juggernaut football team. I mean, no doubt in my mind. So they're favored by 17 points. It feels like a lot when you think it's three versus 11. And then you realize that it's really not, that's really a fair spread. I think for this game, first time, first year head coach, regardless of how much he knows Georgia in Atlanta, um, defending national champs. I think that's a very fair expectation for this game. Okay. Give me uh, a one question for you. If you had to, which team more likely to cover Oregon, Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame. Okay. See, I think I, Oregon. I think, I think Oregon's more likely to cover. So are we, we're, we're giving both 17, 17 and a yeah, half. Yeah, I think I think they're looking. Um, they're, 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 the, what I look today is they're both seventeen and a half. Yeah, to me, Notre Dame's a better team than Oregon. They're at home. It's it's nighttime. No, I'm sorry, they're at Ohio State, but it's yeah. nighttime. It's the opener. I think that Notre Dame's team speed is a little bit better than Oregon's. I I, I would take Notre Dame to cover. Okay, I personally. think or I think Oregon's a better shot to cover because I think a, um, I think that Ohio State offense could just could just put fifty on the board, and I think Georgia at its heart, Kirby Smart's heart and soul is to essentially beat you the way Saban's teams used to beat you. So I could see a situation where Oregon is never really in this game. But they just sort of thump Oregon and sit on their chest and, you know, smother them for most of the final three quarters. And it's a it, it sort of fluctuates between a 10, 14, 17 point game um, and and Oregon manages to, manages to make the cover. So I just think the style makes it more likely as much so for Oregon to cover uh, than for the fighting Irish. Don't poke fun at me for being a gadget guy. You want lemon zest? I've got a zester. Capping spark plugs? Let me grab my spark plug gauge. And for sure, I'm a Regions app guy when I need to check balances, deposit checks, make transfers, or make an appointment. Regions tech is always at my fingertips. You need anytime access to your accounts. Regions gets it. So switch to Regions Life Green Checking for our highly rated app, online tools, and personal service that helps you live in the moment. Visit Regions.com to learn more. Regions Bank member FDIC, equal housing lender. Okay, so now we've got to the place where we're both in agreement. Your number one game is Florida State LSU. My number three game was Florida State LSU. Paul got to do the deep cuts on his list and the fun games because I am the host. I deferred to Paul and I hit the high notes with the big games because we had to talk about the big games too. You would be disappointed, listener, if you came here and we said nothing about Ohio State, Notre Dame, and nothing about Georgia, Oregon. So I sort of embraced the the quote-unquote big games Paul did the fun games. I also would mention that West Virginia-Pittsburgh will be a fun game as well. Uh, The Backyard Brawl on Thursday night, two USC quarterbacks playing for West Virginia and and Pitt. So just to throw a little nod into that one. However, Florida State LSU, again, we both agreed on this. Sunday night in New Orleans. Paul, there is a lot going on here. Yeah, this is – I mean, it's the only show in town, which always – lends itself to kind of craziness for some weird reason in this universe. <laughs> but to me, like the, the the primary reason I put them number one is uh, primary reasons is because of Brian Kelly um, and his, and his foghorn Lakehorn accent, which I hope we hear 
pregame, postgame, middle of the game. Hope he's mic'd up. Um, and the fact that I think that whichever team wins this game, we're, we're going to just dramatically overrate. Um, and I think that's going to lead to some second half of the season regret. So I had it number one for like kind of the, the potential for just how wrong we're going to guess this game when it's done. But yeah, I, primarily if I'm being serious, it's because of Brian Kelly. I mean, the dude left Notre Dame for LSU. I'm just fascinated by it. And I want to see how his team works. You know, short term, I don't know how good LSU is going to be this year. I know they have good players. I also know they have been put together like, you know, sort of an erector set without a screwdriver. Um, I, I, you know, in that they're, it's just a, it's just a, um, it's, it's like leftover Legos, right? I mean, there, we know there's a lot of good players here, but you throw a bunch of kids from the transfer portal. You have a bunch of kids who are left over from the Ogeron era. And how is that going to mix when, you know, Brian with Brian Kelly's style and you have new schemes? It just seems like it's a it's a Frankenstein's monster over there, but of a lot of talented people. Like I think Brian Kelly's also a talented coach. And I know that there are very good talented NFL style players on that LSU roster, but what does it look like in year one? Meanwhile, with Florida State is it's year three, man. Like I don't think Mike Norvell is in any big danger of getting fired because they just have so they're so in the red at Florida State right now as far as you know buyouts to to, to former coaches, but like you know when are they ready to take something of a step forward here? So it's just an interesting you know again like you know we go back to it's it maybe is not a great analogy but you go back to what we talked about with utah and florida where utah is a fully formed functioning unit now in year three i don't expect florida state to be what utah is in year 13 or 14 under kyle whittingham but i would expect florida state in year three to be ahead of where lsu is in the opening game with a new coach you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like there should be more development there should be more fully formed identity at florida state and i think that's why i would give the seminoles like a pretty good chance to maybe pull off what would be a a minor upset as far as the points but i think lsu is like a three-point favorite yeah much more meaningful um, for florida state than that like kind of two unranked teams playing a three-point game would indicate. Really meaningful. From here, um, I understand it's the ACC, not the SEC, or even the Big Ten West, but it's a pretty pretty rough schedule for Florida State. Louisville, mm-hmm. Boston College, Wake, NC State, Clemson. You'll beat Georgia Tech, Miami, Syracuse. Then you end up with Louisiana and Florida. There, there's not a lot of times to sit back and catch your breath. I mean, after Clemson, you got two weeks for Georgia Tech. So that that's pretty, pretty much it. So... It's a it's a vital win, I think, for Norvell. To get it would be vital. And I think it changes the complexion of this season. And look, like this is a spotlight job and a spotlight sport and a spotlight profession. Um, if he doesn't get it done in year three, we've seen countless times before at places like this. Like it's not just that you're probably not gonna get it done because it's the track record of guys who hit in year four is very small. You're probably not gonna get the chance to get it done. Things will get toxic enough where it'll take care of it for you. So I hate to put it all on Sunday, and, I, and maybe I'm really overrating it, but I do think there is a part of the game that reflects the importance of this win or what it would mean for Norvell and for Florida State as a whole. Well, your analysis is perfect because it started with we are probably going to overrate this game, and then you overrated the game. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very much it's a just self- life or death. 
just life or death for Norvell. If he loses this game, uh, he, he uh, they're just going to burn down the town, and this is going to be over. Um, yeah, that's pretty typical. Pretty typical of me. Um, and it's pretty typical to do right, of this of this Sunday game. I mean, this is the Sunday. This is the spot on the calendar that spawned Texas's back baby when uh, Notre Dame was at the beginning of a four and eight season. It's the it's the game that last year had you know that that just bonkers game between Notre Dame and Florida State where we thought wow Florida State look at look at them look at those guys mm-hmm. look how much look how far they've come the very next state they the very next week they lose to Jacksonville State so it is this game is filled with fool's gold traditionally uh you're right it's the only show in town we're all going to be so captivated by it uh, that will run wild. Uh, did you watch any of Florida State playing Duquesne by any chance? Did you scout up Florida State? Uh, yeah, you- of course. <laughs> it was either that or watch U- UConn, Utah State. I have a no UConn rule in my house, so I had to watch a little <laughs> bit of Florida State LSU on the, behind Wyoming, Illinois. Um, you may have missed the of- highlight of UConn season. I mean, th- there was a point where I think they were up for- were they up fourteen nothing or or twenty one seven or I mean. Th- you know, for UConn people, like like that might have been it. Like that might have been the height of the 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 high point of the season, uh, being up fourteen nothing on the defending uh, Mountain West Conference champions. Yeah, and and for it, that would fit the kind of Jim Mora career arc. Um, I had someone call him Coach I Chart one time because his win totals keep getting smaller as his <laughs> tenures go on. So like to hit your home run in week one and then to lose to Army seventy five nothing on November nineteenth would be very Jim Mora era. Uh, style. So they'll beat Central Connecticut this weekend, I think. Central Connecticut has like, I, I'm pretty sure they have like 34-year-old Marine vets who like <laughs> want to get their like ITT tech uh, car repair degree on their roster. So be a little bit wary. But uh, I feel like UConn's going to win on Saturday. Uh, I don't, I don't and, know. And even their record. You know, I don't. I don't know. For some reason, I feel the need to defend the academic honor of Central Connecticut. I don't know. I don't know I why. Think, I like, believe it produced Steve Adazio. Among other um, intellectual luminaries, I'm not sure who else. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a valuable degree right there. Um, or <laughs> so LSU Florida State is number one for you. It's number three for me, but you know it's maybe number one in my heart too. I think I, yeah, I think it's a fun game. It is a uh, it's 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 always one of the best weekends of the year. And probably in many ways, it is the best weekend of the year just because it's so spread out from Thursday through a, a long day on Saturday. You get a game on Sunday. You, we get a game on Monday night, which will probably be not that much, not that interesting because it's Georgia Tech against Clemson. And we, I think we kind of know how that one's going to go. But it is nice to have the season here. It's very nice to have the season here. Remember, folks, whatever you see this weekend is a definitive glimpse at what the team will be for the entire season so you should absolutely lock in your opinions after these first games nothing will change yeah but <laughs> all opinions subject to change small print, <laughs> small hey, print. Uh, real quick before we go i can give you five famous central connecticut state grads i'm on the wikipedia page right now not counting adazio uh number one would be ricky Patalico. i think he was a long man for the Phillies or the Sox, and no, he, he got clo- to an All Star game. He closed at least for a short period of time for the Phillies. I, I guarantee you, he had at least one 20, 20 save season for the Phillies. I know he was an All Star, so there's number one. Uh, John Hirschbeck, umpire, Robbie Alomar spit in his face. That's number. That's the second guy. Maybe a little infamous um, there. Infamous. Uh, yeah. Mike Sherman, former Texas A and M head coach. Wow. Richard Grieco uh, from Twenty One Jump Street. Oh, he's and handsome. He was handsome. He was, probably still is. 
Yeah, you, probably. Here's the thing, Ralph. Like what I found as I've gotten older, there are some people who were ugly at 20 who then begin to grow into their face. You know what I mean? But they're yeah. very, it's much less common to be richer Greco handsome at 25 and then turn into like, unless you're Mickey Rourke to turn into like this hideous <laughs> monster when you're 50. Richard Greco is still handsome because he was always handsome. You know what I mean? So handsome has staying power. You can grow out of ugly. Yeah. Handsome okay. has legs. Yeah. Uh, okay. And lastly, the current uh, U.S. Secretary of Edu- Education, Miguel Cardona. Um, I don't know how what? I feel about that, but it's true. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about so that. So there we go. So, oh, okay. So, pro- so props to Central Central Connecticut. I feel like we've, uh, we've, uh, we've redeemed ourselves with Central Connecticut. By the way, Ricky Ricky Batalico, Ricky Batalico at number one over the Secretary of Education is a uh, is a choice. Uh, only one of those guys made an All Star team. <laughs> That's good I mean, <laughs> any day though, like Cardona could. You never know; the, they could change the house, and Cardona's like in prison. Who knows what's happening in the world nowadays? Ricky Batalico is and will always be an All Star. Uh, so I put him number one. How many people? Like how big of a of a of an attack on on Washington there, does it have to be for the leadership for the presidency to fall to the to the Secretary of Education? Oh gosh, uh, <laughs> chain of uh, yeah, chain succession, of command. Uh, U.S. presidents. Let's see <laughs> no, how far do we need to go down? We're not doing this. We're Just kill time. This. I got you. I, oh, uh, you got to go down 15, 16 if you count the current president. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a it's a long way to go. I mean, that's still he's still closer to the presidency, or is he? Is Ricky Batalico possibly closer to the presidency? <laughs> this list only goes to seventeen. <laughs> Batalico's got to be eighteen. I think if you are make a a uh, a All Star game for the Phillies, that if you play for the Phillies for multiple seasons, you should automatically ascend to some sort of leadership position in this country. You lived in Philadelphia for four or five years. You played in front of those fans. I would trust you with my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Darren, was, Darren Dalton is probably ahead of the secretary of education as far as like secession to the presidency. Probably, probably. Yes. Hey, but uh, Ricky Batalco, if you're listening, um, congratulations on a, on a, on a super fine career. <laughs> yeah. Paul Meyerberg, you can read his stuff at USA Today. He does a fabulous job of covering college football from a national perspective. He is also a friend of mine, uh, a longtime friend, a, a recurring guest here on the show. Paul, thanks so much for previewing week one as only you can. I'm sure we will talk more as the season goes on and hopefully see each other in person in the uh, borough of Brooklyn, as opposed to a press box in some far-flung location, which is more often the case when we see each other. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, hey, thank you for having me on. Everybody, enjoy week one. Enjoy the season. Uh, it, it's your year for your team. And now, three now. First down. Let's put Nebraska aside for a second. The improvement of Northwestern's offense from last season to the first game of this season was pretty stunning. You can try to sell me that Nebraska's defense is not very good, but Northwestern's offense was 120th in the country last year in yards per play, and they were terrible against plenty of mediocre defenses. The Wildcats had not a 500-yard offensive game since 2019. If Northwestern and Illinois are going to be competitive and competent in the Big Ten West, That race has a chance to be even crazier than I thought. Think potential three-loss champion. Think some kind of crazy tiebreaker needed to 
separate the teams, three or four of them on top. Second down, we covered a lot of good games, but let me toss another one on the pile of interesting opening weekend contest. NC State starts its season of great expectations at East Carolina. Yes, a road game in Greensville. It really does feel like a trap. ECU has some very nice skill position players. I think this will be a trendy upset pick this weekend. I believe Wolfpack is giving up about 11 or 12 points. But I'm going to say that the Wolfpack handily, handily take care of their business against ECU. Folks, what could go wrong? Third down, another coach who was non-committal about his quarterbacks heading into the season opener is TCU's Sonny Dykes. Dykes said he will play both Max Duggan and Chandler Morris in the opener against Colorado. He also said he might even throw redshirt freshman Sam Jackson in there. TCU Colorado didn't make our most intriguing list, but I'll definitely sneak a peek Friday night. I wish, I wish so much Colorado could get its act together. But after a decent performance during the abbreviated 2020 season, the COVID season, for Carl Durrell's team, there has not been much positive news coming out of Boulder. As for TCU, the Horned Frogs are among a bunch of Big 12 teams that I think have a range of outcomes anywhere from five wins to nine wins. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please, please follow so you do not miss an episode. We come at you every week, especially during the season. We never take an off week. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.